Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to another glorious edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. In fact, if you're a fan of any club besides Juventus, you probably will enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for joining me. What a week it's been. Napoli torna campione. We've got another great episode for you today. Like we did last episode, we'll start with a review of Napoli's Coppa Italia match because that is the biggest story at the moment. In part two, we'll cover the latest news around Serie A, Europe, and Napoli. And since Napoli has a week off before they resume Serie A play, we'll close with another feature and today's topic is on Cristiano Giuntoli and the miracle of Carpi. So getting right into it, let's start with Napoli's Coppa Italia Final match against Juventus. So the 73rd Coppa Italia final underway. Napoli against Juventus in Rome. It is a star-studded cast list. And we have all manner of possibilities ahead of us this evening. Jose Callejo. Well, that's a loose ball. And it's been seized upon by Dybala and Ronaldo. Good save by Meret and Douglas Costa. Insignia, kept out by Buffon. 
Koulibaly. He telegraphed that pass, and they could be punished here. And it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Quickly out of his goal, Alex Merritt, who's had a very good first half so far. Under his spell, Jose Callejo, Diego Demma. And Diego Demma! Good save by Gianluigi Buffon. But Napoli looking dangerous here as we move into the final five minutes of the first half. Dybala. Referee straight away said no penalty. The collision involved Mario Rui. Moments of controversy that brings the first half to a close. At the Buffon of old. And what a let off the Juventus right at the end of the game. Maximovic with the header down. And he certainly did keep it out. And then it came off the post from the substitute Elmas. Diego Demme. Well, that's it. It is going to be a penalty shootout to decide the 2020 Coppa Italia final. But how close Napoli came right at the end of the game to getting a winning goal. We also saw Bonucci play that through. So Napoli now know that if they can score here, they will win the Coppa Italia for the first time since 2014. And the responsibility is entrusted to Arkadius Milik up against Gianluigi Buffon. What a pressure penalty this is for the Polish international. But he's converted it. And Napoli win the Coppa Italia. Neapolitan joy in Rome. Their first major honour since 2014. And they've beaten Juventus and Maurizio Sarri to do it. So Napoli have won their sixth ever Coppa Italia and their first since 2014 against Fiorentina. And this is Rino Gattuso's first trophy as a manager. Meanwhile, Juventus have now not won the Coppa Italia two years in a row after winning four straight. Maurizio Sarri again failed to win a domestic cup. Back in December, he lost the Supercoppa Italiana to Lazio, so you can be sure there will be people calling for his head. In fact, even before this final, Sadi had been heavily criticized, and up until this point, I've defended him on the grounds that he was still alive in the Coppa, still in first place in Serie A, and still alive in Champions League, so there wasn't much more you could ask for, but losing this final does give some credence to those who want the Italian manager out. So let's start with the lineups. Both sides were pretty much what we expected. Napoli made four changes to the squad that played against Inter. With Ospina suspended, Meret had the opportunity to show Gattuso why he should be the number one on the biggest stage of the young keeper's career, and did he ever take advantage of it. This was a near flawless performance from Meret. He made an important save early in the match on Ronaldo after Callejon turned the ball over. He's definitely been improving his footwork. He was very calm and confident on the ball and his passes were accurate. He was very focused, very aware of what was going on. In the first half, Juventus had a counterattack and could have scored had Dybala's pass not been a step ahead of Ronaldo, but credit to Meretz for reading the play and getting off his line so quickly. In the second half, he made an important clearance on a cross into a very dangerous area. And then the save he made on the very first penalty kick from Dybala was really something else. After this performance, I would not be shocked if Gattuso split duties between Meret and Ospina for the balance of the season. Gattuso started Mario Rui at left-back over Elsie Kusai. 
Having watched these last two Coppa Italia matches, left back has to be our weakest position on the pitch. Juntoli really needs to bring in another player there. Neither Kusai nor Rui looked particularly good to me. Rui was shown a yellow in the 77th minute for a bit of a reckless slide tackle, which is precisely why Gattuso didn't play him against Inter. That's also why Gattuso replaced him with Kusai to make sure Rui did not do anything stupid to get a second yellow, and Gattuso needed to bring in some fresh legs anyways. Rui cannot seem to help himself, but had this happened in the semi-final, he would have missed the final due to suspension. Instead, he'll miss the first game of next season's Copa. In the midfield, Fabian started in place of Elif Elmas, who was very disappointing against Inter. I thought Fabian played very well. He got a decent opportunity in the second half, and he also did well to help defend. Fabian put in a solid 80 minutes before being replaced by Alain. In fact, I thought the entire midfield played really well, and this goes back to Juventus's midfield not being that great. I thought both Diego Demme and Piotr Zielinski were much more involved in this match. Demme again ran more than any other player in the match, and he had a rare scoring opportunity that Buffon did really well to keep out in the first half. And only Demme and Bentancur ran more in this match than Zielinski, who had way more touches than he did against Inter. Zielinski nearly played the entire match, with Elmas replacing him in the 88th minute. Now that was certainly helped by the fact that Napoli enjoyed a decent amount of possession in this match. Also, not only did Inter dominate possession, but they also used the wings quite a bit, so that keeps the ball away from the center midfielders. And then up top, the fourth change was to start Callejon over Politano, which was what I was expecting, but it didn't really go as planned. Callejon had a rough start to the match with a few wayward passes, and one of those led to a Ronaldo chance. Callejon was replaced by Politano in the 66th minute, and surprisingly, Politano looked much better to me than Callejon did in both matches. He had a few scoring chances in the second half. He made a clever dummy to create a chance for Milik. He picked out an Insignia run later in the second half, but Insignia's touch was too heavy, and he converted an important penalty. I'm not a huge Politano fan, but he does seem to have benefited from the break. Napoli have been shopping around for another winger with the expectation that Callejon leaves. I know this is just one match, but I really do think his time has come. Gattuso also replaced Mertens with Milik at the same time that Politano came on. Again, I thought this was the right move. Mertens was relatively quiet in this match after scoring such a big goal against Inter, but he also didn't get a lot of service with Napoli defending most of the first half. And like last match, I think Gattuso used this sub really just to bring on some fresh legs near the end of the match. So that's Napoli's lineup. Let's talk about Juve's lineup. They only made one change to the lineup that started against Milan, which was to start Cuadrado at right back instead of Danilo. We knew this was a possibility before the match, so it wasn't too much of a shock, but I don't think Sadi's plan worked. Sadi definitely did not want this match to go to penalty kicks, at least not at the start. In other words, he wanted to win in regulation, which means you need to score, and Cuadrado would certainly give you more firepower by playing like a wingback. Obviously, Juventus were not able to score, so this change actually worked against Sadi. And what I mean by that is Cuadrado would have been a useful weapon to bring in off the bench, since he could also play as a winger. Instead, Sadi had to use Danilo to replace Douglas Costa, which is less than ideal. Again, I don't blame Sadi for making that decision. He was probably hoping to have scored, and then he could have replaced Cuadrado with Danilo to defend. With Sami Kadira not suiting up because of a muscular issue, the only other options Sadi had were Bernadeschi, who replaced Pjanic in the 74th minute, Aaron Ramsey, who just returned to the lineup for this match and replaced Cuadrado in the 85th minute, and Rabiot, who didn't feature. 
I did not expect Saudi to bring in any of the Primavera players in the Coppa Italia final. They would probably only play if Juve had a big lead to give the starters some rest. So Saudi ended up using only three of his five available substitutes. And I think that was mostly because Saudi still needed players on the pitch that could take penalty kicks if it got to that point. And this highlights two things for me. One, like him or not, Gonzalo Higuain is still a very important part of this team. I think he could have been very useful as a substitute both in this match and against Milan had he not picked up a knock. And two, something we mentioned in the preview, is that with Juve's injuries, they don't have the same depth that they did at the start of the year, which is really interesting because in Serie A, a lot of people are assuming that Juve will win the Scudetto because they have more depth than Lazio does. Granted, many of the injuries we're seeing are muscular in nature, which generally have shorter recovery times, like we saw with Manolas, who's already returned to Napoli's lineup. Okay, so that's a pretty lengthy discussion of the lineups, and we did cover a few other topics there. Next, I want to talk about the general flow of play in the match. Full credit to referee Daniele Dovri, who I thought did a stand-up job in his first Coppa Italia final. Perhaps he could have shown Juventus a yellow sooner in the first half, particularly for the foul on Fabian, but that's fine. I think he correctly held his whistle both when Mario Rui went down in Juve's box and when Dybala went down in Napoli's box just before the half. And in general, you don't want too many stoppages as that really breaks up the flow of the match. So I was happy to see Dovri let the players play. This match was really a tale of two halves. This match started out pretty similarly to Juve's match against Milan with Juve dominating the possession and Napoli content to sit back, defend and counterattack. Kulibali and Maksimovic continued right where they left off after the Inter match. Absolutely nothing was getting through them. I thought Di Lorenzo looked much better in this match after he struggled a bit against Inter. Even though left back is a bit of a concern, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better back line in the league. Interestingly, I wonder what Gattuso will do with the back line when Manolas returns to fitness. I think the way Maksimovic has played these last two matches, he can definitely afford to give Manolas more time to recover. And given that Koulibaly has missed his fair share of games this season due to injury, and so has Maksimovic to an extent, it would not surprise me in the least if Gattuso rotated time between all three center backs going forward. Back to the match, as the game wore on, Napoli slowly started to impose themselves more and more, especially in the second half. And I can think of two reasons why the match might have played out this way. One is that over time, Juventus' players began to tire out, and that allowed Napoli to get forward more. But I also think Gattuso deserves some credit here too. I felt like he employed a similar type of strategy that you might see from a boxer, which is to sit back and defend, let your opponent burn out all of their energy attacking while you conserve your own energy, and then turn it up once they've tired out. And this is another reason why the Milik substitution made sense. If Napoli were planning on turning up the attack in the second half, then Milik certainly offers a different type of attacking threat than Mertens, particularly in the air. However, his best opportunity was on the ground in the 72nd minute after a lovely dummy by Politano, but it was on his weaker right foot and he couldn't capitalize. As we got deeper into the match and back to the point about Juve's fatigue and lack of depth, I think the roles reversed a little bit with Napoli going for the kill and Juventus content sitting back and playing for penalty kicks. Other than a long-range effort from Bonucci, Juventus never really tested Meret in the second half. Buffon really stepped up in the final quarter of the match and was probably Juve's best player. He stopped a Politano effort from just outside the box in the 68th minute. Then in the 82nd minute, he made a fairly routine save on a Politano header. And then in added time, he made his biggest save or saves of the match after Bernadeschi gifted Napoli a corner kick. 
Politano played an outswinging cross, which Maximovic headed hard into the ground, which Buffon did really well to stop. And then on the rebound, he somehow got a piece of the ball on an Elmas shot from about three feet away that then ricocheted off the post. And had Juve won this match, we definitely would have been talking about these saves and Napoli's failure to convert these opportunities. So that brings us to the penalty kicks. This was an incredibly intriguing matchup between Italy's national team keeper for the better part of the last 20 years in Buffon and Alex Meret, who could well be a big part of Italy's national team in the future. Meret won't be Italy's number one as that spot belongs to Donnarumma, but I expect he will be the backup for the future of the Azzurri. And after this performance, I wouldn't be surprised if Gigi actually competes with Meret for that final spot on Roberto Mancini's Euro squad, especially with Mancini being one of the few spectators at the Olimpico to watch this match. So Dybala shot first, which he hit well. It wasn't perfectly placed, but full credit to Alex Meret. This was a really excellent save. Insignia shot first for Napoli and did his job, and in style too, he stuttered just before the kick to get Buffon to lean the other way and confidently placed his shot into the back of the goal. Danilo stepped up next for Juventus, which was really surprising to see. With Pjanic, Costa, and Cuadrado all off, I would have chosen Ramsey or Bernadeschi in that spot. Danilo went for the top corner, but his shot sailed over the goal. Politano went next, and though Buffon guessed right, the shot was too hard and too accurate to stop, so Napoli quickly jumped ahead 2-0, and Politano made sure to shush the Juve bench, who supposedly were chirping him during the shot. Bonucci shot third for Juve and just barely squeezed the ball below the bar to put Juve on the board. Then Maximovic of all people took Napoli's third and I was really scratching my head to see that choice but he did what you would have expected from a defender and he chose power over accuracy to put Napoli ahead 3-1 and he definitely deserved that goal. Ramsey took Juve's fourth. He showed great composure and scored similarly to how Insigne did but on the other side of the goal. Then finally Milik stepped up for the win possibly against his future club, and made no mistakes to end the match. This morning, the Italian papers were critical of Sadi for his choices, mostly because Ronaldo didn't get the kick. Other than Danilo, I had no problem with the choices. You typically want your best shooters to go first and last, because those spots have the most pressure, so Dybala went first and Ronaldo was scheduled to shoot last. You obviously don't plan to go down two goals. So that's how this match ended. A few closing remarks. The initial plan because of COVID was that the players would retrieve their own medals, but Agnelli and De Laurentiis decided that no matter what happens, they would hand out the medals, which I thought was great sportsmanship. I'm not sure what happened with De Laurentiis, though. He claimed he was supposed to hand out the medals to the Juventus players, but they just went up and grabbed them, not knowing about these new plans, obviously. And it was great to see the celebrations after the match, with Maximovic celebrating with the fans, even though that was pretty irresponsible. Gattuso held up the cup to the fans who were waiting at the train station at 4 in the morning. You also had shots with Koulibaly in the Copa, which was really nice to see, especially if he departs this summer. Maradona tweeted with his Napoli jersey on, and apparently Insigne slept with the cup beside him last night. He also posted a nice message on Instagram for all Italians saying, It's called the Italian Cup, but today more than ever, it is a cup of Italians, dedicated to those who suffered and those who got up to those who continue to fight against coronavirus. And for anyone who thinks that Napoli didn't deserve this cup, Napoli defeated Lazio and Inter in the first leg before football stopped, and then they outlasted Inter and Juventus after, so they absolutely deserve credit. Finally, with that win, Napoli automatically qualifies for the Europa League, 
So that takes some pressure off in Serie A. After the match, Gattuso was asked about trying to qualify for Champions League. He responded that they will treat these matches with respect and that everyone will play. Napoli are currently 9 points back of Atalanta, who also have a game in hand. So though it's not impossible to make up 12 points in 12 matches, I think the next priority is going to be going as far as possible in Champions League, and that Napoli will rotate quite a bit in Serie A to minimize injuries. So that's my review of the Coppa Italia final. Napoli are now off until their first Serie A match on the 23rd, so we'll get a quick breather before getting really into the thick of things. That said, with Serie A returning on Saturday, we'll definitely talk about those matches on the next episode. That's it for part one. In part two, we'll cover the latest news. Starting with Serie A, on Monday there was a Serie A League Council meeting. Three key items were on the agenda, which were the extension of loans and contracts due to expire on June 30th, the start date of the 2020-2021 campaign, and television rights. According to Sky Sport, Serie A is considering starting the next Serie A campaign on September 12th. Regarding TV, Spadafora continues to discuss with Rai and Mediaset about broadcasting in the clear, and knowing him, he'll make an announcement the day before the first Serie A match. Meanwhile, Sky CEO Maximo Ibarra says that Sky are prepared to broadcast matches in the clear, but they don't have the right to do so, so there must be a request from Serie A. I haven't seen the ratings yet for the final, but Napoli's match against Inter had over 7 million viewers on Rai Uno, which is a 32.3% share of the viewership. And Juve Milan had over 8 million views, with share peaks reaching as high as 34%. Another issue that remains unresolved is what to do with the 350,000 season ticket holders if the balance of the season is played behind closed doors, and the likely outcome is these viewers would be provided refunds in the form of vouchers for next season's matches. That would result in about 100 million euros in losses. Juve would lose the most at 15 to 25 million euros, followed by Inter at 10 to 18, Milan at 10, and Napoli and Roma at 4 to 6 million euros. Every other club in the league would lose somewhere between 1 and 3 million. The good news is the season is far less likely to be cancelled altogether, as Thursday the government announced the approval of what they're calling a soft quarantine. If a player or staff member tests positive, the entire squad will no longer go into a 14-day quarantine. Instead, the individual will be isolated, but everyone will undergo testing, so this is the same thing they're currently doing in the Bundesliga and the Premier League. Finally, the Primavera Championship has been cancelled and no title will be awarded. I wonder whether the Primavera squads will still train though, as many senior teams are drawing from their pool of Primavera players to fill positions with the increase in muscular injuries. Moving on to Europe, the English Premier League resumed play on Wednesday. Aston Villa and Sheffield United played to a 0-0 draw, and Manchester City trounced Arsenal 3-0. Arsenal played half the match with 10 men after David Luiz was sent off, 
though City were dominating even before that, so I don't think the result would have been any different. Amazon has announced that in the UK, it will broadcast the latest four Premier League games, for which it holds the television rights for free on Prime Video and on the Twitch streaming channel. Those matches are Crystal Palace Burnley on June 29th, Everton Southampton on July 6th, Watford Newcastle on July 11th, and a fourth match to be decided depending on the calendar. Also in Great Britain, Sky Sport UK intends to broadcast 25 of the 64 remaining matches for free on Pick Channel and the BBC will do the same for four other matches. So with the Bundesliga and La Liga having already resumed, three of the five major European football leagues are back underway, and as I mentioned earlier, Serie A will join them on Saturday. Even though Bayern Munich have already won the Bundesliga, only five points separate Leipzig in third and Borussia Mönchengladbach in fifth with two matches to play, and Leipzig still have to play Dortmund, so there could be plenty of drama there. Plenty remains to be determined in Spain as well. Barcelona is two points clear of Real Madrid for top spot, and only four points separate Sevilla in third from Real Sociedad in sixth, with nine matches to play. Villarreal, Valencia, and Granada are all not that far behind Sociedad for the final Europa League spot. Meanwhile, UEFA has confirmed that the final eight of the Champions League will be played in Lisbon, Portugal. The quarterfinal second leg matches will be played in the originally scheduled venues. Napoli will visit Camp Nou, tied 1-1. Juventus will host Lyon, also tied 1-1. Bayern Munich will host Chelsea, up 3-0. And Manchester City will host Real Madrid, up 2-1. Those matches will be played on August 7th and 8th. The quarterfinals will be played between August 12th and 15th. The semifinals will be played on August 18th and 19th and the final will be on August 23rd. The final was supposed to be played in Istanbul, so it's expected that the final of next year's Champions League will be played there instead. Similarly, the final eight of the Europa League will be played in neutral cities in Germany. Matches will be played in Duisburg, Gelsenkirchen, Dusseldorf, and Cologne between August 10th and 21st, and the final will be played in Cologne. Neither Roma nor Inter played their first leg matches, so they will play single matches in Germany. Roma play Sevilla and Inter play Hetafe. The other 12 clubs played their first leg matches, so the return legs will be played in the originally scheduled venues. Finally, the European Super Cup, which is the match between the winner of the Champions League and the winner of the Europa League, will be played in Budapest on September 24th. Moving on to Napoli, Lorenzo Insigne has officially changed agents from Mino Raiola to Vincenzo Pizzacane. And many believe that this is the first step towards Insigne signing an extension to 2025 that would see him end his career in Napoli. That means Insigne would have played pretty much his entire football career with one club, which is incredibly rare these days. In other news, on Monday Gattuso threw Irving Lozano out of training for not having the necessary concentration. Gattuso later told the media, whoever is tired, whoever does not have a clear head is better off staying in the locker room. However, the two did speak on Tuesday to clear things up, and the Lozano did not feature against Juventus, he did suit up. And this is not the first time that Gattuso has done this. Prior to the break, Gattuso kicked Alan out of training and didn't suit him for a match, and I wonder if Gattuso would have done the same with Lozano had it not been for the busy schedule. A part of me thinks that Gattuso does this intentionally to keep the rest of the squad honest, because both times the player he kicked out of training was not a member of his starting eleven. But that could be just a coincidence, or maybe it's because they know they're not going to play, so they stop trying. 
Last episode, we talked about Dries Mertens breaking Matic Hamsik's record for most goals for Napoli. Both Hamsik and Diego Maradona, who's third on the list, sent congratulatory messages to Chiro. Before the Coppa Italia final, the club officially announced that Mertens' contract had been extended, and I'm sure it wasn't a coincidence that this announcement came the day of the match to provide the club with some additional motivation. In transfer news, La Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Napoli are willing to offer 60 million euros for Lille striker Victor Osimhen. Il Matino are reporting that Arkadiusz Milik has reached a verbal agreement with Juventus for next year. I'm not sure I buy this. We know that Napoli prefer to reach an agreement with the club before the player does, and I do feel like Juventus would respect that. Juventus continue to offer their garbage to try to lower the purchase price, and De Laurentiis continues to insist on cash only. Kalidou Koulibaly's agent, Fali Ramadani, is expected to meet with De Laurentiis in a couple of weeks to discuss Koulibaly's future. I'll talk more about Koulibaly in the next episode, but apparently Ramadani wants to talk to De Laurentiis about lowering Koulibaly's price of 90 million euros. If this is true, then I don't know what Ramadani is smoking, because if recent history is any indication, that's not going to happen. And speaking of De Laurentiis, he denied that he might sell the club in a recent interview with El Correra de los Sport. De Laurentiis said he never thought about it and that he's received three offers, one for $700 million, another for $800 million, and one with no figures. He added that he puts football ahead of everything else. The last film that he produced, called Sky Captain and the Future of Tomorrow with Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina Jolie, and Laurence Olivier, did not do well and he still made 90 million euros and that if he continues to make films, he'd be a multi-billionaire, so I think this was De Laurentiis' way of saying that this is not about money for him. And for me, as a Napoli supporter, this is music to my ears. I've said this many times before, I'd much rather have a passionate owner, even if he is a little crazy, than a foreign investor who's simply looking to improve the bottom line. That'll do it for the news. In part 3, we'll do another feature. Since Napoli have a short break before resuming Serie A, I thought I'd do another feature. So today I'll tell you a little bit about Napoli sporting director Cristiano Giuntoli and Il Miracolo di Carpi, or the Miracle of Carpi. Before becoming a sporting director, Giuntoli started his footballing career as an amateur footballer. He played predominantly in Serie D with Colligiana, Latina, Imperia, Savona, and San Ramese, and had a few short stints in Serie C2 when Imperia and San Ramese were promoted. Over the course of 16 campaigns, Juntoli made 320 appearances and contributed 13 goals as a defender. In 2009, only two years after retiring as a footballer, Juntoli was named sporting director at Carpi, where he played a large part in what is now known as the Miracle of Carpi. When Juntoli joined the Modena-based club, they were competing in Serie D, the following season, Carpi were admitted to the Lega Pro Seconda Divisione, or what we used to call Serie C2, because only 49 of the 54 C2 clubs met the financial criteria of the league. 
Karpi did not waste the opportunity, winning Group B to earn a promotion to the Lega Pro Prima Divisione. In their first season in the Prima Divisione, Karpi narrowly missed another promotion, finishing third in Group A and losing in the final of the promotion playoff to Sorrento. That summer, which was in 2012, Juntoli signed Ricardo Galliolo for free after a tryout. He also loaned goalkeeper Marco Sportello from Atalanta for next to nothing. Meanwhile, Inter renewed interim manager Andrea Stramaccioni, who had replaced Claudio Ranieri at the end of the 2011-2012 campaign. And as is often the case with new managers, Stramaccioni brought in his own staff with him, which meant that athletic trainer Andrea Nuti was left without a club. Nuti was part of Jose Mourinho's staff during the historic triple season, and he was also a former Olympic 400-meter runner. Juntoli convinced Nuti to take a position two divisions below Serie A to help improve the club's fitness levels. And that could well have been the difference maker. The following campaign, Carpi again finished third in the table and again reached the final of the promotion playoff. But this time, they outlasted Lecce, winning 2-1 on aggregate to earn a promotion to Serie B. The following summer, Juntoli extended Galliolo's contract to 2017, which Carpi would benefit from long after Juntoli's departure when they loaned Galliolo to Parma for about a million euros. He also signed Jerry Mbakogu on a free transfer from Padova. The combination of young talent from the lower divisions, like Ledian Memushai, as well as loanees from Serie A like Roberto Inglese, helped Carpi survive their first season in Serie B. Juntoli realized that at the end of the championship, playing with only one striker, the team had averaged 2.1 points per game. And so he told Carpi president Stefano Bonaccini that if, in the following year, they allowed at least 10 fewer goals, they would play in Serie A. Juntoli admitted that Bonaccini immediately gave him a dirty look when he said that, but in the end he wasn't wrong. The real miracle happened in the 2014-2015 campaign. Juntoli continued his habit of loaning players from Serie A, including Milan goalkeeper Gabriel, Alias Struna from Palermo, Emanuelis Sauger from Atalanta, and Malik Mbai from Kevo Verona. But his most impressive signing was not from Serie A, and that was Kevin Lasagna, who Juntoli acquired from ASD Cerea in the Eccellenza Veneto, which is the Veneto region of Serie E. Juntoli paid about 25,000 euros for Lasagna, and a few months later, he sold him to Udinese for a reported 4.5 million euros. On top of that, Juntoli secured Lasagna's services on a loan back to Carpi for the remainder of the season. To put that into perspective, the entire club's wages at the time totaled 2.5 million euros. Carpi went on to win Serie B with a record of 22 wins, 14 draws, and only 6 losses. At the end of that season, the call from De Laurentiis came, and Juntoli simply could not say no. Juntoli praised Bonaccini and said that at the time of these events, he was exceptional. Even though Bonaccini wasn't happy to lose his precious sporting director, he understood the opportunity he would have with Napoli, and he held Juntoli in such high esteem that he did not ask him to pay the penalty for breaking his contract. So Juntoli joined Napoli in 2015, replacing Ricardo Bigon, who had just resigned. Bigon had been with the club in that role since 2009, after spending five years in a similar role at Regina. And if you recognize that name, it's probably because Ricardo is the son of Alberto Bigon, who coached Napoli to their second Scudetto in the 1989-1990 campaign. 
and those were pretty big shoes for Junto Lee to fill. Let me quickly go over some of the players that Vigo signed. In 2009, he bought Andrea Dosena from Liverpool. In 2010, he bought Ribari from Lazio, Jose Souza from Bayern Munich, Hassan Yebda from Benfica, Cristiano Lucarelli from Parma, and Giuseppe Mascara from Catania. But the most important deal he made that year was a loan with an option to buy Edinson Cavani from Palermo. In 2011, he got Miguel Britos from Bologna, Federico Fernandez from Estudiantes, Larim Zemaili from Parma, Gohan Inler from Udinese, Goran Panda from Inter, and Marco Donadel from Fiorentina. In 2012, he bought Alessandro Gamberini and Valon Berami from Fiorentina, Gian Domenico Mesto from Genoa, and Omar El Caduri from Brescia. And while Cavani was probably his biggest signing, the 2013-2014 season was probably Bigon's most impressive transfer window as a whole. Listen to this. In that summer, he signed Gonzalo Higuain, Jose Calejon, and Raul Albiol from Real Madrid. He also bought Duvan Zapata from Estudiantes and Dries Mertens from PSV. And if that wasn't enough, in the winter transfer window, he bought Fauzi Goulam from Saint-Étienne, Enrique from Palmeiras, and Jorginho from Hellas Verona. Then in his final season, he bought Kalidou Koulibaly from Genk, who may end up being his biggest signing, Julian de Guzman from Villarreal, Michu from Swansea, and Manolo Gabbiadini from Sampdoria. And during that time, Napoli won two Coppa Italia, so those are massive, massive boots to fill. So let's take a look at how Juntoli has done since he joined the club. I'll skip the summer of 2015 because it's hard to say how many of those signings were really Juntoli's doing, and other than Alan and maybe Luperto, there weren't too many big names that year. But 2016 was an impressive year for Juntoli. He signed Lorenzo Tonelli from Empoli, Amadou Diawara from Bologna, Piotr Zelinski from Udinese, and Arkadouj Milik from Ajax. Not much happened in 2017, and then in 2018 he loaned three keepers, Meret and Carnetzis from Udinese and Ospina from Arsenal, who they would later purchase. He also signed Kevin Malqui from Lille, Fabian Ruiz from Real Betis, and Amin Yunus from Ajax. And then this season, Juntoli bought Costas Manolas from Roma, Giovanni De Lorenzo from Empoli, and Elif Elmas from Fenerbahce. Then in the winter, he signed Diego Deme from Leipzig, who's looking like a great signing. He loaned Matteo Politano from Inter, who I'm not sold on. And he also purchased a few promising players in Stanislav Loboka, Amir Rahmani, and Andrea Patania, but we'll have to wait to see how they turn out. Now, he did also sign Irving Lozano for a record fee, no less which is not looking good, even if that was a player that Ancelotti wanted. Now, while these players and this squad as a whole may not be as glamorous as some of Bigon's teams in the first half of the decade, they have performed quite well. Juntoli's Napoli finished second in Serie A in three of the last four seasons, and in the other season they finished third. This season will be the club's first under Juntoli that Napoli do not qualify for the Champions League, even though there remains an outside chance of that happening. By comparison, Bigon's Napoli finished second only once, they finished third twice, fifth twice, and sixth once. So Juntoli has done slightly better in Serie A. Now we mentioned that Bigon has won the Coppa Italia twice. Well guess what? As we covered at the top of the show, Juntoli won his first Coppa Italia earlier. So all in all, I'd say Juntoli is doing a pretty good job of filling those massive boots. So that's going to do it for part 3 and for episode 19. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a rating as well as a review. 
If you have any questions or if you want me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. Coppa Italia is finished, Serie A returns on Saturday, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.